Have you ever taken a really memorable road trip? Most of us have, right? These are the trips where you come home with all kinds of stories of things you got to see and things you got to do. One of my memorable trips happened back in September of 2001. Earlier that year, I was talking to my friend, Brett. We were both single. We both had some vacation time left. So we said, why don't we just go somewhere we've never been before? We pulled out a map and we decided on the state of Maine. And I could tell you so many stories of that journey from Ohio to Maine and back. We spent one day walking the battlefield at Gettysburg. We stopped by Nazareth, Pennsylvania, and we toured the Martin Guitar Factory, which was very cool. Not all of my memories are good, though. As I said, this trip was in September of 2001. It was just after 9-11. And as we drove past New York City on I-95, we looked south and we saw a huge cloud of dark smoke rising above Manhattan. Eventually, though, we did get to Maine. I remember eating a whole lobster on my birthday. I remember standing on top of Cadillac Mountain where you get this incredible view of the coastline. I could honestly go on and on about this trip. And if you ever wanna hear some stories, let me know. I also have pictures. But that's not what I wanna talk about today. I wanna talk about a different trip. We've reached a new chapter in our series through the book of Acts. And in this section, we read about Paul's three missionary journeys. These three journeys contain some of the best adventure stories in the whole Bible. Each one of them was a very memorable road trip. And at the end of Paul's first journey, he came back home and he did what most of us would do. He told a bunch of stories. We see that in Acts chapter 14, verse 27. Paul and his friend Barnabas returns to the place where they started, which was the city of Antioch. And on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, that one verse tells us this was more than just a sightseeing trip. Some very significant things happened while they were gone. God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And this was a seismic shift, not just for the early church, but in the history of our entire planet. You see, here's the background. Christianity began as a movement within Jewish culture. After all, Jesus was Jewish and his disciples were too. And as we look at the Bible, we see that the Jews had a special relationship with God. The nation of Israel was chosen and set apart by God for a special purpose. It was through Israel that God would send the Messiah on a rescue mission to save the world. But again, in the early days, the church was almost entirely made up of Jews. However, you may remember that just before Jesus left this world, he made a prediction in front of his disciples. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and then out to the ends of the earth. And here's how that looks on a map. The church began in the city of Jerusalem, but then the message of Jesus spread out to the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria. And then the church grows exponentially out to the ends of the earth. So where did that explosive growth come from? Well, for one thing, God made it clear that salvation through Jesus was not just for the Jews, but for every nation on earth. And once the early Christians understood God's intentions, 
the Holy Spirit began working through missionaries like Paul. And those missionaries traveled around preaching about Jesus, making new disciples, planting churches. And when Paul came back from that first missionary journey, his report was really exciting. Because for the first time, this movement of Jesus followers was spreading beyond the Jews out among the Gentiles. And when you think about it, this is truly amazing. Because it was one thing for somebody like Peter or Paul to stand up and preach about Jesus in front of a Jewish crowd. Because the Jews already believed in the one true God. They were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And they knew the prophecies about the Messiah. So when early Christians told Jews about Jesus, they didn't have to start from square one. But once you get to the Gentiles, it's a completely different story, right? Most of them followed pagan religions where they worshiped many, many gods. And of course, these pagans had no understanding of the Jewish scriptures. So how do you march into town and preach the gospel of Jesus to people like that? Well, it's a challenging task. But Paul takes it on. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, many Gentiles become followers of Jesus. Now, over the next few minutes, we're going to look at Paul's approach. And we need to be clear. This is not just some old story that happened in the first century. This is very relevant in our world today. As you well know, the culture around us is changing. Our nation is changing. More and more, we're living in a pluralistic society. There's a growing number of people who don't identify as Christians. There's a growing number, a number of people who don't see the Bible as true or reliable. So what does that mean for those of us who follow Jesus? Well, we have a lot to learn from Paul and those early Christians. Because how do you share the message of Christ with someone who doesn't believe the Bible or maybe has a negative view of Christianity in general? Do we just write those people off? Absolutely not. That's not what God wants. The gospel is for everyone. At the same time, though, when we relate to people outside the church, we need to take a different approach. And as I read through Acts and I, I look at Paul's missionary journeys, I see a pattern that we can definitely follow today. Here's the pattern. Paul invites others into the story of what God is doing by leading with love and then pointing people to Jesus. So let's break that down. First, how do you lead with love? Well, this is what Troy talked about last week. And by the way, if you didn't get to hear that sermon from Troy, please go back and listen to it. He, he spoke very passionately about this. But here's what it looks like to lead with love. You don't start with judgment. You don't start with an argument. You start by showing compassion to others. And when you do that, you communicate God's love in a practical way. And followers of Jesus should have this reputation of a radical love for others, especially in a time like this, when our nation is divided and polarized on all kinds of issues. But all too often, Christians don't have that reputation. Now, if you're watching today and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, my prayer is that you will encounter the kind of Christians who do love well. And don't expect any of us to be perfect because we all have a long way to go. But you should expect humility and genuine compassion. So that's one step, lead with love. But we can't leave out the second step, 
we need to point people to Jesus. We need to be specific and let the world know that true joy and peace and hope can only come through Jesus. So let's take a look at Paul's first missionary journey and see how he invites others into the story by leading with love and pointing people to Jesus. Now, I can't go over this trip in detail, but I can give you the basics. Paul and his friend Barnabas were part of a a church in a city called Antioch, which is in modern-day Syria. And through the leading of the Holy Spirit, Paul and Barnabas were set apart to serve as missionaries, and their journey began. A lot of their mission work took place in a region called Asia Minor, which is part of modern-day Turkey. So they visit several different towns in Asia Minor, but I want to focus on just one story that happens in one of those towns. The town is called Lystra, and what happens here is very dramatic. This would make a great movie. We find the story in Acts chapter 14, and I want to start reading at verse 8. It says, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had the faith to be healed, and he called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. It's one of those miracles that was really fairly common in the early church. In fact, if you've been with us for this entire series, you might remember a story from Acts chapter 3 that sounds very similar to this. In that chapter, Peter and John meet a lame man. He was a beggar asking for money. But Peter looks him in the eye and he says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the man immediately stands up and he starts walking and leaping and praising God. And here in Acts 14, the story is almost identical, isn't it? Paul sees a lame man, looks him straight in the eye, and he says, Stand up. And immediately the man gets up and he starts to walk. Now, why do you think these stories are so similar? Well, there's a pattern here. That's what I mentioned earlier. Just like Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, Paul invites this man into the story of what God is doing. And how does he do that? He leads with love. And this love is not some generic sympathy where you just feel kind of bad for a person and then you walk on by. No, this love is practical, isn't it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul gives this lame man a whole new life. He doesn't have to beg at the city gate anymore. He doesn't have to depend on others to give him money to survive. Paul met a very practical need. So this story gives us a clearer picture of what it looks like to lead with love. You can lead with love by meeting needs around you. Now, most likely, you and I won't be performing any miraculous healings. Uh, We can pray for people to be healed, and God can certainly answer those prayers. But we probably won't do what Paul does here. And that's okay. There were some special things happening in the early church that don't really happen today. But we don't have to perform any miracles, do we? All around us, there are people in need. And we do have the capacity to meet many of those needs. Sometimes it's a very simple thing. Maybe you know someone who's been especially lonely in this crazy world of COVID-19. There are lots of people in that category. And you could just show up with a card or a plate of cookies or whatever. Last week, we heard that great example from Bob and Pam Jennings, where they cooked up some meals and delivered them to different people. But that's just one idea. There are so many people around us who need support, 
or encouragement or some kind of practical help. And if we go to God with a willing heart, He will lead us in the right direction. But I'll warn you, when you start showing radical love and compassion, things will get messy because people are complicated. And that goes for you and me too. So be prepared for unexpected bumps in the road. That's exactly what happens to Paul and his friend Barnabas. Look at how the people of Lystra respond to this miraculous healing. Acts 14, 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So, what we have here is a bunch of pagans acting like pagans. They're like, well, these guys have supernatural powers, so they must be gods, right? And since Paul talks a lot, they decide he must be Hermes, the Greek messenger god. Barnabas is more of the strong, silent type, so they decide he's probably Zeus, the king of the gods. Now, we might think it's very strange for the people of Lystra to jump to this conclusion, but I came across a story that might give us some insight. A poet named Ovid told this story of how Zeus and Hermes show up at this particular town in disguise. Apparently, they wanted to test the hospitality of the people in this town. And if they weren't very hospitable, Zeus and Hermes would destroy them. But the good news was an elderly couple stepped up. They showed great hospitality to these gods and the town was saved. Now, in a place like Lystra back in the first century, people really didn't take these kinds of stories very seriously. But this miracle from Paul may have changed that. And at this point, Paul and Barnabas have to decide how to deal with this. Obviously, they don't want to be worshipped as gods, but what do they say? How could they get this pagan crowd to believe in the true God, and specifically Jesus? Well, let's remember those steps we talked about. First, you lead with love, and second, you point people to Jesus. But we have to consider the audience here. We need to point people to Jesus in a way that the culture can hear and understand. These people aren't Jews, right? So you don't start out by quoting scripture. They don't know any of that. But let's see what Paul and Barnabas do say. This is great. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Now, this is so good. Paul is in the process of pointing these people to Jesus, but he starts by speaking their language. He says, number one, we are not gods. We're human, just like you. And number two, there is a real God. 
and he's given you evidence that he's real. Just look around you. All of creation was made by him. Every good thing comes from him, including rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. And that line is especially brilliant because Zeus was not only the king of the gods, he was the Greek god of the skies. He had power over weather, including rain and thunder and lightning. So when people needed rain for their crops, they prayed to Zeus and asked him for a little precipitation. So do you see what Paul is doing here? He says, these blessings don't come from your man-made gods. They come from the true God. And when Paul says, turn from these worthless things to the living God, he's calling them to lay down their idols because idols will never give you what you're looking for. Now, you can see the correlation between this story and our time, right? Now, you, you probably don't know anyone who has a habit of making sacrifices to Zeus, but we all know people who practice idolatry. Because whenever you put someone or something in the place where only God deserves to be, that's idolatry. And here's the thing about idols. This is a quote from Tim Keller. He says, idols promise fulfillment but they always leave you empty. And that emptiness is an open door for pointing people to Jesus. I'll give you an example. It's something we talked about a few weeks ago. A lot of people try to find meaning and purpose in their career. And they wouldn't come out and say that they're living for their career and they wouldn't see their job as an idol, but that's exactly what it is. So what happens when you've turned your career into an idol? Well, you have three possibilities. One option is that your career does not go well. You never get where you wanted to be, or maybe you lose your job. But if you look to your career for meaning and fulfillment, where does that lead you? It's crushing, right? You feel like a failure, not just in that particular job. You feel like a failure as a person. A second option is that you do get where you want to be, and you're a big success but you're under constant pressure to stay at the top. You're stressed all the time. You work too many hours and you never quite feel at peace. And then there's a third option. Maybe you achieve great things in your career and maybe you don't feel pressure to maintain that success. But for some reason, you just can't shake this nagging feeling of emptiness. See, idols promise fulfillment, but they always leave you empty. And this is true for everyone, everywhere. Sooner or later, everyone feels empty outside of a relationship with Jesus. And just like Paul, that's a chance to invite someone to turn away from lesser things and turn to the living God. So back in Lystra, Paul was trying to do just that. He said, don't look at me, look at the one true God. And I'm confident that he was ready to start pointing them specifically to Jesus. That's exactly what he did in other places. But here in Lystra, Paul doesn't get the chance. Look at verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Now, this is a shocking turn of events, isn't it? especially when you consider the fact that Paul was trying to do the right thing. He was inviting people into the story of what God is doing. He was leading with love and pointing people to Jesus. 
And if this mission trip was blessed by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit, why would Paul have to go through something like this? Well, God never promised us a life without trouble. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Paul talks about this same thing just a few verses later in Acts 14. He says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And Paul understood the meaning behind his suffering. He knew that through suffering, God helps us become more like Jesus. He also knew that one day, God will put an end to suffering and injustice, and he will set things right once and for all. Paul had this foundation of faith, and it went deeper than his circumstances. And when you have that foundation, you can keep moving forward. You can keep doing what God calls you to do. That's why Paul could get up and go back into the city after that crowd almost stoned him to death. So, despite the opposition, Paul kept inviting people into God's story. Sometimes he got rejected and he was persecuted, but then other times he got a front row seat to watch as Jesus transformed the lives of all kinds of people, not only Jews, but Gentiles as well. In Paul's first missionary journey, the message of Jesus crossed cultural boundaries and Christianity began to spread to the ends of the earth. The church was following the instructions of Jesus to go out and make disciples of all nations. This was a very exciting time. And Paul came home to Antioch ready to tell a bunch of great stories. And that takes us back where we started. Acts 14, 27. On arriving there in Antioch, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And like I said, Paul's missionary journeys give us a pattern. It's a pattern for the church to follow today. And in some ways, the first century was very different than our time. But in other ways, the situation is exactly the same. It's still true today that when God's people live on mission, he opens doors to reach other people with the good news of Jesus. And you know, that's not just something we talk about. It's something that actually happens. I know that some of you listening have seen this in your own life. You have been living on mission and you've had a front row seat to watch as Jesus transforms a person's life. I'll give you a specific example from here at Plum Creek. We're going to hear from two friends, Kristen Lawson and Danielle Clark, and we'll see how God used Kristen to make a big impact in the life of Danielle and her family. Let's listen to their story. Hi, I'm Kristen Lawson. Um, I have been attending Plum Creek um, for 22 years now. And my name is Danielle Clark, and I've been coming to Plum Creek for a year and a half. Our kids um, went to school together, and we met in the line waiting to pick up our preschoolers yep. when they went to half-day preschool at Southern Elementary. And it was always very quiet. No one yeah, really no one talked. talked. <laughs> so her and I were the chatty ones, and we just started talking. Yeah, uh, we had actually just moved from Sevierville, Tennessee, so I didn't know anyone. So then me and Kristen started talking more and more. We got to know each other, and like she said, our kids became friends, and I think it just kind of gradually just became a good friendship. Yeah. I think I was, I was at church maybe the night before or something, helping set up for something. 
and I was talking to her when we were waiting in the line and she said, oh, what church do you go to? And I said, Plum Creek. And she had said that they had gone to church in Tennessee but hadn't been in a while and that they wanted to possibly get back into getting to church. And I said, well, Plum Creek has a great kids yeah. program. Okay. And we really like it here and kind of went from there. Yeah, I think at first though we were real hesitant because we had had really bad experiences. Like, not good experiences. So we were kind of hesitant. We're like, well, we're going to go and they're going to judge us like the other churches have. So I think it kind of pushed us back from coming. So when we first came, we were really, I think, shocked because everyone was really nice. We're not, we weren't used to that. Everyone was welcoming and people we didn't even know were like, oh, hi, like, you know, like hugging us. And I was like, this is pretty cool. And then the kids really liked the uh, kids programs and they made a lot of other friends as well. So they kept asking to come back. So, and me and Cody wanted to come back too because we felt, I don't know, it was a different feeling than we had before. Like, God was like, hey, this is where you're supposed to be. There was one Sunday, I think Dylan was preaching. He was talking about his home life. And me, I connected with a lot of stuff that he had said. And he was, and then he started talking about how being baptized really was something that you needed to do to be closer. And I felt like after that Sunday, his message, I was like, it's time. Kristen was actually the one that baptized me, so it was cool to experience that, that with her. I definitely could see God working there. It was really cool. Like, cause we just met by chance and just started this little conversation and then they start coming to church, and the next thing you know, she's asking me to baptize her. It was really, like, awesome. It definitely made it a strong connection, and it was humbling, and, you know, it was exciting. For a long time, I felt real distant. But for this past year, like, I've, I've felt more connected to God than I ever have before. So, you know, it's, it's a great feeling that I haven't felt in a long time. It's so good to hear stories, real life stories of God working today. It's kind of like Paul going back to Antioch and giving a report of his mission trip. But there are many stories still to come and God wants to use his church to play a huge role in these stories. So where do we go from here? What's our action step for today? Well, let's go back to that one big idea. This is our action step. Invite others into the story of what God is doing leading with love, and pointing people to Jesus. Now, we are living through a very strange time, and this is a challenging environment for making disciples. But I think we can all agree, our challenges are no bigger than what Paul faced, right? So let's get specific here. Let me give you a couple of suggestions of how we might point people to Jesus. First, you can invite someone to be a part of our worship service. This is something we've talked about a lot over the past few years. And now that we've reopened our building on Sunday mornings, it's possible once again to bring someone to our in-person service. However, for several different reasons, that may not work for many of you, at least right now. So here's a different approach. 
you could host a watch party in, in your home or virtually. So what does that look like? Well, one option is to invite people into your home. You could do that on a Sunday morning when we live stream the service, but you could also do that anytime throughout the week since we leave those videos up on Facebook and YouTube. But there's one other option here. You can plan a virtual watch party where different people in different places watch the same video at the same time and they comment back and forth together. Now, some of you already know how to do that, but you could also jump on Google and find out how to set that up. In the end though, the goal is to experience the service with people you know, give them a chance to hear about Jesus and start a life-changing relationship with him. And before I wrap up, I'll give you just one more suggestion. And it's something we might not think about. If you are in one of those three to four groups that we started to go along with this series, uh, you could invite someone to sit in and be a part of your group. Now, you probably want to discuss this together ahead of time, but listen, after this week, we only have three more times to meet with these groups. And can you imagine how cool it would be for your group to welcome someone who needs to know Jesus? It's really exciting to think about what God might do. Because remember, when God's people live on mission, He opens doors to reach other people with the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you once again for who you are. The fact that salvation is available to every person in every nation through Jesus. I know that many people do not yet have that relationship with Jesus that provides grace, forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. Lord, help us to remember those people and care about them the way you do. And Lord, I ask that you would use us to share your story and invite others to be a part of it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.